a very warm welcome to the second of these Koinonia lectures, which are a joint project between Westminster Abbey, St. Paul's Cathedral, and the Diocese of London. These seminars are an opportunity to engage with leading theologians in their latest research. Those of you who were with us last time for Lord Williams' lecture may remember the format that our speakers will present, and during which time you can leave your questions in the online comments box, which I will ask for you uh, if there's time towards the end of the session. Today, we're delighted to welcome two theologians, Professor Esther Mombo and the Reverend Adera Godfrey. Esther Mombo is a lecturer at St. Paul's University in Limuru, Kenya, where she has served in senior administration and now teaches in the Faculty of Theology. She teaches courses in church history and in theology. Her research interests are in the fields of church history, women and theological education. And Esther is a member of the Circle of Concerned African Women Theologians, coordinating the East African region. We're also delighted to be joined by Adera Godfrey, who is a priest in the Anglican Church of Kenya. Uh, and a PhD student at St. Paul's University Limuru affiliated to the Circle of Concerned African Women Theologians. His research interest is in the intersection of theology, gender and sexuality, and his specific current focus area is on incipient and latent scripts of theologies of gender and sexuality in the Anglican Church of Kenya. The title for the presentation today is Reading Against the Grain as a Hermeneutic of the Margins, post-Lambeth 22 reflections in the context of violence. Professor Esther Mombo. Good morning, uh, good evening, good afternoon. We are grateful for the invitation to participate in this Westminster Abbey and St. Paul's Cathedral Koinonia series. Adair and I will be presenting this lecture and I want him to greet you before I continue. Greetings to us all. It's a privilege to have this moment that we share together. Uh, we thank God for the blessing of internet that we're able to communicate in various places and to engage theologically. Look forward to our engagement today. Thank you so much, uh, Adera. is a young theologian who keeps me on my toes and brings to light uh, uh, areas where I'm having cobwebs, he cleans those cobwebs and we continue to, to work together. He is a member of the Circle of Concerned Women Theologians, which is a, a women's organization, but he is one of those allies and friends and we work very well together. And as a student, I delight to work with him. In public discussions earlier this year and particularly from May, most Kenyans had two things in mind. First, it was elections and bringing in a new government and the fears and anxieties about what the new government will look like and who will win in this very context, contested elections. Many of the rhetor political rhetoric were around issues of course of gender, sexuality, etc. Notwithstanding issues of poverty and marginalization. Within the Anglican Church, 
the thing that was in the forefront of both the social medias of WhatsApp and also in discussions was, of course, the Lambeth Conference. The discussions went on about the Lambeth Conference and in other denominations, the discussions were around the World Council of Churches Assembly that was coming in September after the Lambeth Conference. The discourses around the Lambeth Conference were mainly questions about the themes of the conference and ways in which the discussions would take place. From those that had attended Lambeth conferences in the past, the fears of the resolutions that were going to take place there were real. And even among my students, you could hear, so what resolutions are going to be passed? Among the invited guests, of course, there were fears around who will be allowed to go because all of us needed to have a visa to enter Britain. But the major question among the Anglican congregants was which bishop was going to go and who was not going to go and why they were not going to go. Of course, there were assumptions of why some bishops would go and why others would, not, would, would, would go. The fear of the themes that would take place in Lambeth was real. Most of the people who attended the Lambeth conference in the end had not even attended or participated in the pre-Lambeth conversations that were around the, the text of study and particularly the text of First Peter. When Lambeth came, there are those that went to Lambeth and those that did not go. During the Lambeth conference, those that were there spoke about how well it was organized. And they talked about the calls that had been made. And when they returned, not much appeared in our dailies as it used to appear in the past Lambeth conferences. Teaching a class of students, I was asked to share on the resolutions that took place. I told my class that there were no resolutions, but there were calls, which we will come to later. And one of the calls that I shared with my students was the call on human dignity. And many of them were saying, what is that? Why can't you give it the name that you are giving? What are you hiding? in the whole uh, topic of human dignity. So thinking about what we were going to speak about today, we wanted to look at what is silent within the calls and wondered why there has been a lot of silence even among the bishops that attended and returned to this country. When we saw that it was going to take place on the 23rd, when on the 25th, we launch the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence. We then chose the topic, reading against the grain as a hermeneutic of the margins, post-Lambeth 22 reflections in the context of violence. This presentation seeks to contribute to the ongoing discuss, this discourses in the Anglican communion about the post-Lambeth 
2022 conference by addressing itself to the question, what has Lambeth Conference to do with Nyalugunga? Nyalugunga is a geographical location in Kenya that is used here metaphorically to represent any social locations of marginality within the Anglican Church in Africa. As a social location of marginality, Nyalugunga has specific lived realities of multiple vulnerabilities that deny many people, especially women and girls, their human dignity, but which have been invisibilized in the discourses about the connection between the local Anglican communities with the Lambeth Conference. These realities have been invisibilized because the issue of human dignity in reference to the Lambeth Conference has sadly been trivialized to mean human sexuality. Andrew Goddard laments that there is a tendency to think that the difficulties in the communion are simply about sexuality. But this, although highlights one key issue, is I think wrong on a number of counts. The difficulties in relation to sexuality arise because of deeper differences concerning authority, theological method, and of course the interpretation and authority of scripture, both in relation to specific texts and more generally. Drawing from this challenge, this paper seeks to bring stories of human dignity from Nyalgunga to the panoply of ongoing Lambeth discourses. These stories demonstrate how interpretation of scriptures against the grain of the Anglican Church of Kenya, heteropatriarchal normative has become a tool of asserting human dignity in a context of sexual and gender-based violence. This discourse is situated in the in-between Lambeth discourses. The Anglican Communion has had Lambeth conferences since 1867, roughly after every 10 years. Other than this year, because of COVID, it went beyond the 10 years. After every Lambeth, there have been always been an in-between period of all kinds of post-discourses and pre-discourses. The post-Lambeth discourses are largely reflections from the proceedings of a concluded conference. While pre-Lambeth discourses are reflections towards the next Lambeth. However, these in-between discourses have remained ideological rhetoric based on historical and geographical disparities across the Anglican communion in terms of where power rests and its embodiment in space, place, and locality. Moreover, in the recent past, these in-between discourses have largely focused on disagreements from regions on fundamental questions on human dignity within the Anglican Church. Labels such as the South, the North, revisionists, 
among other labels, have only served to entrench versions of theological essentialism that have defined regions as one uniform entity, vouching for one meta-narrative. There are, however, incipient imaginaries, especially from Africa, that continue to subvert the essentialist discourse about regional positions on issues of human dignity, and which have not been sufficiently theorized and explored. These incipient imaginaries are reflections and response based on lived realities of those in the margins. Our focus of gleaning from these incipient imaginaries is premised on the Lambeth's affirmation about the place of local appropriations of the gospel call for life in abundance. The call states that, however, international Anglicanism often emerged in the context of colonialism. We acknowledge the existence and ongoing impact of an imperialist Anglicanism involved in dehumanizing practices predicated upon cultural and racial supremacy. Any Christian commitment to human dignity might celebrate the rich diversities of contextual theologies and take account of Anglicanism's complicity in brutal and extractive colonialisms. That is from the, uh, the Lambeth call. With this assertion, the post-Lambeth 22 Anglican Church is therefore invited to pay attention to diversity of formulations which though not strictly compatible with each other are not to be regarded as rendering each other invalid. This is because instead of resolutions which are largely based on the majority have both their way and say and the minority require to oblige. The Lambeth calls recognized diversity in thoughts, exemplified the value of unity in diversity, and invited Anglicans to walk together in love through the deep disagreements which we face. The August 2022 Lambeth will therefore be remembered for its attempt to depart from the usual essentialist labels with no introduction, with the introduction of the Lambeth course, instead of what would be Lambeth resolutions, as in the cases of 1998 or the Indaba in the case of 2008. The course captured declarations of the Anglican fundamental beliefs affirmations of current priorities and invitations for further work through walking, listening, and witnessing together. The observation that Godard makes is that the calls were somehow softer than resolutions that had been used in previous meetings, and also a progress beyond Indaba 
in 2008, which was meant to help the communion bishops and laity speak with one another. But yet, there was just discussions among a few. Out of this course, then one looks at the ways in which the language of the call uh, affirms that there is need for transformation that is rooted in the knowledge that we are all part of the image of God or the Imago Dei. And as such, each person deserves to be heard. Each background deserves to be respected and valued. In this way, the calls are about challenging Christian communities and faith communities in general to be breeding grounds of violent theologies, which are produced and continue to produce violent ideologies, doctrines, and people, thereby perpetuating many evils in our society. There are two special things about these calls which shall inform this paper. First is their inconclusiveness, which opened a window for post-Lambeth dialogue and even reconsiderations. Secondly, is on how they valorized contemporaneity over obligation of fidelity to tradition as the church functions in prayer and reflection and in fellowship and dialogue on church and world affairs. As such, obligations of fidelity to tradition was dialectically engaged with the equal obligation to the contemporaneity, how Christian life must make sense in its own time, must be truthful and right-making, and promote the good in whatever world we find ourselves. It is therefore only fair to assert that the proceedings of this particular Lambeth Conference brought to the fore the need to listen in fresh ways to how the margins and the marginalized engage with the scriptures and to tradition in the in-between discourses. I will proceed to uh, present the second section of our paper, which will now pay attention to one specific call, the call of human dignity. And we say, can anything good come from Nyalgunga? A contextual reflection on the human dignity call. So the Lambeth call on human dignity was anchored on the affirmation that, and I quote, within God's gift of creation, humanity, male and female, is made in God's image and blessed by God's care and love. And so this gives all human beings a dignity that cannot be taken away. End of quote. And based on this affirmation, the calls rate, rated that in the Anglican Church, we are fellow workers with God, called to protect the gift of human life and the dignity of all human beings. Further, the call on human dignity recognized the various acts and attitudes against the dignity of God's children and named them as sinful. These were listed as follows, and I quote, 
the legacies of colonialism, the transatlantic slave trade, and other abuses of power continue to impact our communities. Some have been enriched and some impoverished. International economic systems built upon unjust structures of exploitation have created dehumanizing conditions. The deep inequalities in access to land, health and education, exploitation of the young, unjust labor practices, mistreatment of ethnic minorities, migrants and refugees, the, in, the inhumanity of human trafficking, religious persecution, pressure on those guided by their freedom of conscience, oppression of LGBTIQ persons, gender-based violence, war and sexual violence in conflict, in part reveal such sin, end of quote. So in this call, the church recognized multiple intersecting forms of injustice that deny life in abundance and by implication deny human dignity. The call then reiterated the need to address these forms of injustice when it, as, when it, when it asserted that the bishops gathered at the Lambeth Conference 22 call on the church to protect the dignity of all creation, cultures, and human beings. The call then listed three measures that the church needs to take in this venture. These measures are support the establishment of an Archbishop's Commission for Redemptive Action. Number two, act for funded social protection measures across the Anglican Communion. And number three, extend the work of the Anglican Communion Office to promote human dignity with attention to sexuality as well as gender. Our reflection pays attention to the third action point of promoting human dignity in the context of gender-based violence. It especially looks at how these, those in the margins are reasserting, reclaiming, and reinserting their human dignity in the African religio-cultural space in which their dignity is threatened by increasing and multiple forms of sexual gender-based violence. Drawing from these aspects, therefore, we seek to explore the catalytic and transformative potential of the margins in contributing to a new hermeneutical prism through which the Anglican Church can engage on the question of human dignity. In that regard, we pay attention to a tool called Intersectional See, Judge, Act, or the ISJA tool used for community dialogue on sexual and gender-based violence. Under the auspices of the SAC of Concerned African Women Theologians, this tool, the ISJA tool, was developed and is being implemented by young theologians who have continued to navigate their identities of age, gender, and multiple other intersecting identities within institutional culture of the church and the academy, which have sanctioned their exclusion. They have developed this tool with the aim of offering alternative textual interpretation 
with the primary objective to valorize the voices of victims of multiple, multiple forms of expression, to legitimize uh, the victims' lived experiences theologically, and to uncover redemptive meaning from global biblical text for consumption, spiritual nourishment, and activism. On the whole, this strategy highlights the discursiveness, situatedness, and fluidity of religious texts, their meanings, and teachings. This was developed with the hope that it will contribute substantially to the ongoing conversation about mission from the margins. This will be valuable for the Anglican Church by offering a concrete example of how to promote human dignity in ways that take the shape of marginality as a dynamic and creative space of special encounters with Christ, not only as ideal, but also as an imperative in enhancing the unity of the body of Christ. So the third section will therefore uh, talk about this tool, the ISJA tool, in promoting human dignity in the context of sexual and gender-based violence. So the ISJA tool is anchored on contextual Bible study reading and on models in Africa, especially the participatory and dialogical contextual Bible study method echoed in the story of the walk to a mouse in the Gospel of Luke 24, 13 to 35, which has been concretized in what is called the seven-step process of contextual Bible study method proposed to us by Gerald West. So this method of reading is premised on the concept of God's preferential concern for the poor, margins, and the oppressed. This premise is entrenched in the methodology of liberation hermeneutics. West asserts that the fundamental commitment of this methodology is a primacy of those in the margins and those oppressed as dialogue partners, and where the praxis of Jesus has become a model for understanding the practicing and practicing biblical interpretation in the context of mission and marginality in many parts of the world. So the practical concretization is done in, in what is referred to see, judge, and act process. The process begins with an analysis of the context of the poor or marginalized from their own perspective and terms. This first moment, C, then leads to the next um, in judge in which the Bible is used to judge social, uh, social reality. It asks the question of whether this reality conform to God, God's good news of life in abundance for all human beings. The third moment, act, leads then into specific action, where a community or congregation decides how to work towards God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. So within this overall see, judge, act process, Contextual Bible study therefore moves between two sets of participatory questions and exercises that bring biblical text and local context into dialogue. The community consciousness questions, which is the first one, 
a begin and, and which begin and end the contextual Bible study process draws directly on the readings, experiences, and resources of a particular local community of the oppressed and marginalized. The second set of questions uh, about critical consciousness, questions and exercises uh, require a slow and careful rereading of the details of a particular biblical text. In this entire process, the intersection of C, Judge, and Act 2 is an action-focused and, um, and religious and cultural issue analysis tool. It is used to identify and analyze issues from a religious and cultural perspective and to facilitate personal, social, and systemic transformation. Using a religious text and a chosen contextual topic as a starting point, a community study is designed. The community study of, um, comprises of structured questions which facilitate identification and naming of issues. That was called C, analysis of their impact from the perspective of those affected, judge, and planning of actions for intervention led by those affected, act. That is done in order to realize the intended change. So in the context of sexual gender-based violence, the ISJA tool is being used to facilitate identification and analysis of traditional and emerging sexual and reproductive health and rights issues from the Bible and their connection to lived realities in our context today. The Rape of Tamar in Genesis 38 have been a critical text in these discourses. From this text, participants have raised lots of SRHR issues such as rape, violence, gender injustice, sexual, uh, sexual preferences, incest, issues of consent, contraception, silence, bodily autonomy, and shame as critical issues within our context. In keeping with an intersectional framework, youths and girls with compounded vulnerabilities have been prioritized as participants of this community study. That way, minoritized youths are, suitable, um, are facilitated to speak for themselves and lead the process of identifying and planning suitable intervention actions towards enabling their access to sexual and reproductive health information and services, and towards community-based interventions to the critical issues raised through the study. The success story of this tool cannot be underestimated. In general, the tool has led to the recognition that all people in their diversity have the right to embrace, express, and celebrate their dignity, including sexual well-being. Secondly, it has led to the recognition of the need for faith communities to create safe spaces and engage in affirming theologies that is centered on God's promise for life in abundance. So to conclude this, we go back to our initial question. So what then has Lambeth to do with Nyalgunga? 
and we say plenty of things. Indeed, Lambeth has something to do with Nyalgunga. While the Lambeth calls asserts that the concept of human dignity is broad and cannot be trivialized to only one of its aspects, that is human sexuality. In that way, the call identifies multiple forms of life denying issues that has the implication of demeaning human dignity and commits to both local and global interventions. While the institutional culture of the Anglican Church of Kenya and her partners in GAFCON have been suspicious of this dignity call and equated it to the imperial um, imposition of homosexuality upon the church, the ISJA tool have demonstrated how through incipient imaginaries, those in the margins have taken seriously how broad and all-encompassing the dignity call is. Their process of contextual Bible study of see, judge, and act underscore the fact that all people hold an inherent and special value that is tied solely to their humanity and which has nothing to do with class, with race, with gender, with sexual orientation, with religion, with abilities, with geographical location, with economic status, or any factors other than them being human. So within a context of heteropatriarchal normative theologies, the ISJA tool affirms that the key characteristic of those excluded in this system is that their realities contain multiple forms of marginalization. So while the work among them has a strong religious focus, the ISJA tool serves them with an array of contextual Bible study on a range of intersecting issues such as HIV and AIDS, sexual and gender-based violence, colonialism and neo-colonialism, environmental degre degradation, among other forms of dignity-demeaning situations. The ISJA tool, a contextual Bible study, therefore provide a safe and sacred space within which scriptures adds its voice, its voice to our engagement with God's call to mission to transform unjust structures of society, to challenge violence of every kind, and pursue peace and reconciliation. So there is much to do between the Lambeth and the Nyalugunga. Thank you very much. Thank you, Esther and Adara, very much indeed for that inspiring and rich presentation and for reminding us that the call for human dignity identifies these multiple forms of life-denying issues. Um, we, we've got a few questions coming up, and I wonder if I might just begin by asking one, which is about um, the Lambeth Conference itself. Whether you feel, both of you, either of you, um, that on the basis of this understanding of marginalization, there is a positive future for the Lambeth Conference. And what might that Lambeth Conference look like in the future? Do you want to uh, uh, ask uh, us to answer that or you want yeah, to? Yeah, please, yes. 
what, what what might the Lambeth Conference look like in the future, taking seriously the kind of engagement with diversity and particularity that you've spoken of? Thank you so much. Uh, I'll, I'll say one or two things and then uh, uh, Adera will also uh, say. Having attended uh, two Lambeth conferences and um, uh, 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 participated in some of the activities of the Lambeth conference, I do want to say that, uh, yes, there is a positive future of, of these conferences because the future is among the young, among the youth. And when you think of the debates of the past years, you realize the frameworks within those debates were difficult. But when I think of the young people now, like Adera of the day, they have a different uh, way of thinking. They have a different focus. They have different frameworks. And if they continue to be engaged in the preparations and not just to be seen as youth whose labor can be exploited at the conference, but if they can be included in the discussions, I think there is a bright future. And because we are people of hope, of course we have hope that the church of God will continue to, to grow and be strong because of the young people within that church. And uh, thank you so much for this chance once again. And I agree with uh, Dr. Mombo that indeed there's a positive future for the Lambeth Conference and asserting that that would look, what that would look like would mean meaningful participation of young people. But secondly, something that uh, also gives us hope is the shift from resolution to calls yeah. and calls opening a space for dialogue. What the future will look like, therefore, is to expand those calls so that then we would listen to how people in local communities engage on issues. As it is currently, there is suspicion that is based on institutional culture. For example, that in a particular geographical setting like in Kenya, there is a meta-narrative of the Anglican church. But that is not true because within that own space, there are what we have called in our paper uh, hidden imaginaries, hidden scripts uh, from young people, from women, from persons living with disability, things that, imaginaries that subvert that institutional culture. The future of Lambeth would require that we do not pay attention to institutional cultures within regions, but allow people from all walks of life to bring their contribution to their calls. How do they engage on issues? On the question of human dignity, for example, how do young people in my context, for example, or in the Caribbean, talk about human dignity? How do women in America, in, in, in Asia, talk about human dignity? Bringing the voices of everybody into the calls would be what I would call the future for the Lambeth Conference. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. And actually, so Archbishop Justin's sense that this Lambeth conference is not yet over 
but that it's going to, as it were, carry on over the next few years, it sounds to me is, is ripe with possibility for the kind of dialogue you're talking about, that the calls themselves, Adairi, you said, open a space for dialogue, um, and that perhaps over the years to come, before there is a next formal Lambeth conference, we can deepen the encounter of one another uh, and, and indeed listen to voices which have up until now not been heard in a way which becomes structurally helpful for the next conference. Yeah. We've got a few more questions here relating to this theme. Um, perhaps I could ask you what you hope might be the focus of future calls. So in other words, what are we not talking about even now that we need to be? What might be the the focus of future Lambeth Conference calls. Yeah, um, thank you. Thank you once again. What would be the focus of the future calls? Um, I was able to read um, majority, most of the calls that were there in this Lambeth that is on, ongoing and the discourses around them. And what struck me is the way the tensions that existed in um, in trying to bring everyone on board to hear the voice of every person. And what that does, there are issues that were hushed or not properly engaged. For me, as a person and as a young clergy, I would want the future calls to um, address particular issues that cause division in the Anglican communion. For example, the question of human sexuality would be made as a call and people would engage from across the world and different perspectives would be brought on board. The good thing with the call is that the call do not impose a particular position on people. It allows people to bring their opinion. So issues such as um, human sexuality would be just one entire call and we allow everyone to bring their voices. Secondly, the question of climatic change and mm. issues around that would be a call on its own. And that would allow people, young and old, to bring their creative responses to issues of climatic change, to bring their stories within their context. You know, that would do, that would uh, show uh, open uh, um, uh, spaces for collaborations and open spaces for learning from each other. So I would want the next calls to talk about specific issues that cause divisions and allow people to speak about them. I think one of the challenges has been the question of trust. Mm. That as much as um, within the communion, uh, people will teach and talk about trust, trusting God, trusting mm. one another. I'm hoping that the future Lambeth Conference can minimize the mm. issues of um, suspicion mm. of one another. Yeah. That there is something you are putting on the table and there is something that you are hiding under the table. So that people can come and put the issues on the table as they see them from their context and they are trusted that these are the issues that they bring on the table. Mm. rather than being not being trusted. Mm. So the issue of trust is, is, is a big thing, and I hope that um, 
uh, uh, in different regions, in different contexts, people can begin to deal with mistrust mm. and trust one another, that the voices they hear is the true narrative. And mm. this narrative should not be suspected even before it is put on the table. So a space of trusting one another, mm. a space of, of dialoguing when we bring the cause on the table. So, it, it, I mean, it strikes me that one of the things we need to do is to develop a theology of communion, which is which, which is rich in that sense of trust, in which trust becomes a default, a natural move, rather than something that, that feels risky. But I wonder if either of you have any ideas particularly of how we might build up trust in our communion. How might we build up that trust? Uh, I remember a few years ago uh, when I said that can we talk with one another? Can we uh, listen to one another? And I think we haven't reached a point where we are talking to one another or listening to one another. I think for me there is need to create spaces of people talking with one another. I knew that in the pre-Lambeth conferences, there was uh, internet conversations of people to talk with one another. And I remember leading one group and uh, the question was, when are we going to talk about the difficult issues? So from this particular context, somebody knew there was a difficult issue we were not talking about. Mm. And Adera is saying here, we need to talk about that difficult issue. And so uh, 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 spaces where groups can talk to one another physically, internet, I think, is still unreal, yeah. uh, 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 even though it worked for some people, but it just reflected the divide that there is in terms of uh, economies, in terms of internet space. But I do hope that post-COVID, that uh, uh, we can start talking with one another, not a year before Lambeth, but years before, before Lambeth that these continuous discussions can take place as we, 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 we envision the next uh, alignment. Could we have pre-conferences where people begin to have the calls prepared, for example? Yes. Adera says that's okay. <laughs> wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Because, because in a sense, what you're suggesting, it strikes me, is a, is a slight methodological shift in the calls mm -hmm. that... Um, it, reading the the titles of the calls this time, um, they were they were drafted in a sense which could perhaps attract the most maximal approval. Whereas if there were to be a call on contested topics, we would be forced to trust each other in a way uh, of developing a language which could actually be ripe for um, a wide variety of people to see themselves in. So I wonder, I wonder how, how might the communion engage in ongoing learning from those whose voices are not heard? Esther, you, you, you rightly, in my view, mentioned the limitations of online work, but how might we, we as a communion, including ordinary people in the pews, people who just come to church on Sundays, how might we engage in ongoing learning from those whose voices aren't heard? How do we hear each other better? And, uh, thank you so much. Um, how do we engage in ongoing learning? And I would say two, two things. 
One, let's participate. Um, for a very long time, as, and as we've said in our paper, there are ongoing imaginaries, there are ongoing conversations in various spaces. Let's participate in those ongoing conversations. And this requires that even the way we structure our theological education, the way we structure our theological conversation should, should change, that everybody brings something to the table. Mm -hmm. By participating, you participate either as a guest or a host. And mm -hmm. being a host, you go to a space where you admit that there's something special happening here. God is working in your midst. I don't understand it and I want to listen to it. So as a guest, you humbly accept to learn from the host. As a host, you also accept that a guest is coming to your space and they may not know some things. They may not approve some things that they see and respect also um, 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 their point of view. So number one is participate. Number two is to be open. And by being open, I mean... For example, there are difficult issues in the communion that we do not talk about largely. Let's be open about those things, that there is nothing we are hiding, there is nothing we don't want to talk about. Let's be open about them. And openness is tied to the first one of participating. Allow people to bring their voices and to bring their lived realities and experiences into the dialogue space Yeah. Thank you very much. There's just one more question we we might ask, and you know one of the one of the blessings of um of the, of the Lambeth Conference 2008, it strikes me, was the sense that people began to engage in some mutual learning from different parts of the world, and so I want to ask a question of of you as a British Christian. I want to ask, how might people in the West use contextual Bible study most effectively? Uh, uh, thank you so much. And, and contextual Bible study is is uh, uh, is does is had started a while ago, and it's been going on in 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 most parts South Africa, Eastern Africa. Uh, it has moved away from a point where it was suspect, and uh, to a point where it is um, uh, uh, received or there is a reception. Yeah. Uh, each context is different. Let's let's agree. And the Bible uh, uh, is, 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 is viewed or perceived differently in, in each context. While in some contexts, like where we are, the Bible is, is the book that each person uh, uh, has or quotes, whether it is in politics or in economics, they quote the quote. Other places, perhaps it is not the common book. But I do wonder whether churches can begin to use contextual Bible studies, not in uh, 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 not, not in, um, in in big spaces, but in smaller spaces. Either they are in Sunday school or youth gatherings or or, or, or other gatherings that are not very formal, mm -hmm. because formal uh, a Sunday service, the expectations is a sermon, right? And so trying to uh, engage people before the sermon, so there is interest mm -hmm. in terms of, yes, this is a text we can also read. We don't have just to depend on the, uh, 
the one theologian, but we can also read. And that's why in Yalugunga, that the only text you can find in the village is the Bible. Mm. So it is in the hands of everyone. It is in the hands of, of, of women who are selling fish. Mm. The only book they may have is the Bible. Yeah. The stories are told so they can narrate the stories. So it's rescuing this text from the cathedral and mm. bringing it to the congregation. And it can be brought through the homes, through, through the Bible studies, through the the the, the 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 other meetings other than formal formal meetings mm-hmm. so it's just rest, how do we rescue the bible from the hands of the few and put it to the majority congregation okay. i would i would just add um one thing um i know historical critical methods and many other ways of reading the bible are steeped so much within the academic space uh, um, in African context, for example, one way of getting into a context of Bible study is beginning from lived realities before we go to lofty methods of interpretation, beginning from lived experiences and also bringing into the space storytelling as a way of uh, talking about the Bible. And so people locating themselves in Bible stories, locating themselves in scripture through their own Stories. So basically shifting where we begin. We don't begin from historical critical methods and other very lofty methods, but we begin from lived realities and allow people to tell their story within uh, the biblical stories. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. And that's a challenge for, for every church and every culture, an opportunity for every culture to, to find their own stories, as it were, in the great story of God's love, which is is given to us in the Bible. Thank you, huge thanks to Esther and to Adera for being with us this afternoon here in the UK, this morning in Kenya. Um, You've given us so much richness, this sense that the Christian life needs to make sense in its own time, in every generation, and a sense of great hopefulness and trust that actually, because of the gift of the church, the gift of our communion, we, we can learn not just to understand each other better, but to love each other deeper. Um, And let's pray that as we move forward, not just to the next Lambeth Conference as an event in the future, but in this ongoing Lambeth Conference, where more voices can be heard, where more people can find themselves implicated in, in this sort of dialogue, this kind of exchange, that we might learn to know and to love the living Christ and therefore to love one another more deeply. A huge thanks to all of you for joining us today for this Koinonia lecture, which has been so inspiring. It will be up on YouTube uh, for you to enjoy and to engage with, to, uh, to continue the conversation in your own contexts. Um, the next of the Koinonia lectures are advertised on the websites of Westminster Abbey, St Paul's Cathedral and the Diocese of London. You're invited to join us in person for a lecture from Professor Grace Davy in St Paul's Cathedral uh, in January. And then a few online sessions before um, the summer when we will hear from Dr. Rennie Choi uh, in Westminster Abbey. But once again, to close, huge thanks to Esther and to Adera. It's a joy to celebrate our communion together in this way. And thank you all for joining us. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting us.
Thank you so much. We say Asante sana in Kenya. <laughs> Asante sana. Yeah. Thank you.